All right, excellent. <laughs> I guess I'm in charge of stopping that time. Uh, yeah. Uh, good morning, you guys. Uh, so glad to be here. Uh, in case you haven't met me, uh, my name is Sam. I'm the uh, pastor, one of the pastors at this church, and so glad to meet you guys. Uh, I have to tell you, all this week I've been praying for you. I was thinking about like your lives and stuff. As I have a list of people I'm praying through, like all, the church directory list, and and I was thinking about the stuff that you guys face and the pressures at work and then and family and all this kind of stuff going on and. And man, you, got, you guys are amazing to be able to show up here at Sunday with all the things that are going on. And, and I just want you to know that someone's praying over you. And, and uh, I, I'm so thankful for your sacrifice to come out and to bring families out and uh, all those people who are serving here. This is a really powerful thing. Uh, uh, just really powerful. And that, that's just been on my heart all week. And, and I'm so blessed to be a part of this church. Um, we're going to start. Uh, sometimes in life we have some expectations. And uh, the reality isn't quite what our expectations are. So I have a couple of examples here. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, for you animal lovers, <laughs> this is a relationship expectation. <laughs> this is hanging out with your kids' expectation. <laughs> yeah, family. Is your family time look like that? <laughs> a bag of chips, there's nothing in there, right? You know, why do I resemble that guy on the, the left there? You know, in life, sometimes, sometimes we have false expectations in life. You know, that bag of chips is a really good example, right? And then it leads to real letdown, right? You open that thing up, it feels full and... What? There's like four chips. I, I was eating those uh, animal crackers, uh, the, the ones that have the frosting on it, and it was plump and yummy. I opened There were six of those little animals in there, and the bag's like this big. I was so sad. So I stole my daughter's. And ate hers as well. Uh, so sometimes in life, uh, our expectations lead to real letdown. It leads to sometimes in life disillusionment or even outright anger. What we think is supposed to happen, like the way it's supposed to go, it doesn't. And then the, the image that we had of how these things are going to work out, that's not the way like, things turn out. It's not the way we imagined. And, and I think this could be a really big problem in everyday life. But I would say it's an even bigger problem when we're talking about God. We're talking about His kingdom, and we're talking about Jesus and eternity and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I think it's a really big problem if we have false expectations that aren't met. Today's Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what's called the Holy Week for Christians. And uh, this is the most important week in Christianity. It even beats Christmas. Um, and it focuses on the final days of Jesus' life. Uh, this Holy Week culminates in Easter Sunday, uh, the most important single day in the Christian calendar. Uh, today's called Palm Sunday because of something that happened 2,000 years ago that we're going to see in just a minute. On the Sunday before Jesus' death, so he's going to die on a Friday, on the Sunday uh, before his death, we call that Good Friday, but it's good for us, bad for him. He actually gets crucified that day, so the good part is for us, not for him. Uh, we are going to have a Good Friday service. Uh, it won't be here, so don't show up. It's a secret location like a rave. You've got to like, figure out how to get it and bring a banana to like, a liquor store, and they'll give you a ticket or something. Uh, no, no, there'll be an address on, on the announcements for you. Um, that'll be on this Friday. But anyway, so, uh, so he, Sunday begins this sort of holy week, and it begins by him taking a trip into Jerusalem knowing that he's going to lay down his life for the sins of the world. The narrative we're going to look at this morning, it, it does appear in all four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. Um, and 
And the section we're going to look at is, is one of 19 sections that appears in all four Gospels. So it's, it's not common to be in all four, but this one that we're going to look at today. Now what I've done is I've mashed all the narratives together from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's going to be a, a long sort of narrative called a harmony. If you have a harmony Bible, if you're Korean, that's not your harmony's Bible, but that's like a, uh, like, uh, harmony is the Korean word for grandmother. Uh, she may have a Bible, but this is not that. And so if you're going to look in your Bible, you're not going to be able to find it. So you're going to have to, we're going to look on the board together, okay? And uh, so here's how this narrative goes. It's, it's a bit long, but I think it's all right. You'll be we're okay. Uh, so as they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, at once you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt by her, which no one's ever ridden. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and I'll send it back here shortly. So they went and they found a colt outside in the street, just as he told them. It, it was tied at a doorway, and they untied it, and some people, they're standing there, and they're like, hey, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered to them, just as Jesus had told them to. And the people are like, okay, take the donkey. <laughs> sure, right? <laughs> then they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Save Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And that comes from Zechariah 9, written hundreds of years earlier. When he came to the place near where the road goes down uh, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, they began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And then a very large crowd starts to gather. They had come for the festival. Um, all the Jews are required to return to Jerusalem for, uh, for the Passover. So there are tons of Jewish people are all back at Jerusalem. And so they gather around, and Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They spread their cloaks on the road. And uh, others cut palm branches. Here we get our name, yes. Palm branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him... And those that followed him, they shouted some things. They were shouting things like, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, Hosanna is a a Hebrew word, uh, which means uh, save or save now. And that's the Hosa part. And the Ana part, it says, like, that's what we're praying. So it's sort of like saying, like, we beseech you, God, to save us now. So save us to the Son of David. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, you are the highest one. So first, the disciples, they didn't really understand even all this stuff that was going on. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus out of the dead, uh, raised him from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the world, word all throughout the city. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, they went out to meet him. So These crowds are all gathering. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, and they started asking, like, who is this? Like, is this it? Who's this guy? What's going on? And the crowds are like, yeah, this is Jesus. He's that prophet. He did the raise the dead thing. And uh, he's from Nazareth and Galilee and all this kind of stuff. And some of the Pharisees, they're sitting in the crowd, all the say, Pharisees are the, the religious leaders. They say, hey, teacher, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. 
And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, he sees the city and he weeps over it. And he says, look, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring actual peace, but it's, now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come when, when your enemies are going to build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they're going to dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls. They're not going to leave one stone unturned because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. The Pharisees said to one another, see, it's not getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So this is towards the evening. Jesus enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple courts, looks around at everything. It's late, so there's not really anyone there. And so he goes back to Bethany with the 12. Now, Bethany is about two-mile walk. So uh, Bethany is sort of interesting. It's two miles away, and then it goes over this, this hill country. And so to get to Bethany, you walk over what we call the Mount of Olives. It's called that because it's a hill that has olive grove on top of it. And so you have to walk through the Mount of Olives to get to Bethany. Mount of Olives is about a mile away from, uh, from, from the temple. And so when you sort of think about it, that's where, like when Jesus goes and prays in that garden, that's where he's praying about a mile out of the and Bethany is about two miles. It's where they're staying. They're not staying in the city. It's too crowded, too many Jews there. So I want to point out a couple of things uh, that, that happened in that passage. Uh, there, was a, there was a donkey that he rode in on that was prophesied. And he's like, well, why would he prophesy at the mode of transportation for the person coming into the city? Um, but it is mildly important. In ancient times, when, someone, when, a, when a king would come into the city on a donkey, it means we're all good. It's peace. I come in peace. When he comes in on a horse, it means some people are going to die today. He comes as a victor or a conquering king. And so they would purposely drive different modes of transportation. So do you, right? When you want to impress that client, you grab your Lambo and you ram, right? And then, but you probably don't drive your Lambo to soccer practice, right? Because that would be a little overkill and all the mom's jealousy and that kind of stuff, right? And so I don't, I don't drive my Lambo when I take the kids to swim, you know, <laughs> ever. I never drive ever. And so, so it was, it's just kind of what's appropriate. And so the donkey is a, when a king rides in, that's how he would ride in at peace. And then we had the palm branch sort of thing. And, and what that is, is uh, the palm branches, they, uh, they represent goodness or wellness and uh, victory. Uh, it would be something kings would adorn their uh, temple with or, or their palace with. Uh, king Solomon did. And so this would be pretty familiar to the Jews. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 6, 29, I'm not going to read it, but you could look it up. Uh, he uh, d- uh, has palm branches engraved on a lot of the stuff that he's building on his walls and the doors, uh, even of the temple of God. And so uh, palm branches are significant to the Jews. And I had mentioned that Hosanna means save now. Now, sometimes we, I don't know why they don't translate it. They just leave it in the Hebrew. And then you guys were singing Hebrew today. Isn't that cool? Like, you're multilingual. That's so, we're like multi-ethnic church, Hebrews, Jews, and Christians, and Americans all together. It's so nice, you know, and we're learning each other's languages, and that's good, right? Uh, So it really does mean save now, and it's echoing, it's both a prayer and a petition, and it's echoing Psalm 118. Now, whenever you see a psalm, uh, whenever you see a psalm in the Bible being quoted, especially in the New Testament, you always have to go read what the psalm is. Because for them, the Jews have 150 songs they sing each Sunday, and it's all in the book of Psalms. And that's their songbook. And they've been singing those same songs for 2,000 years. And so everybody knows all of them. And so uh, it would be like if I said, you guys know baby, baby, baby. 
Oh, right. No, you don't know that one? That's a Justin Bieber song, so you're too old if you don't know that one. Yeah, young guy right here. No, uh, so if I referenced a song, then I, let, let's say I wanted to say that's a love song, but he like, you know I love you. I know you care, right? So let's just be singing that. So if I wanted to reference a song and you don't know it, then it would be lame for me to reference it, right? And then it would be awkward and you'd have those like awkward chuckles during the service. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, so, um, so what we need to do, since we didn't memorize the Psalms, we have to go read them. And they're not as fun when you read them because they're not songs. But anyway, uh, so we go back and when you read Psalm 118, if you bothered to, I'll give you a summary of it. What it is, is it's a psalm that says, uh, God, we trust you that you will deliver us even though our enemies are around us. We trust God that you will bring conquest. So Psalm 118, when they're, they're singing this, they're like, the king has come kill the Romans. It's a kill the Romans song, right? Because right now, in Jesus' time, the Romans have taken over the Jews and they're under occupation. And the Jews really want to be out of occupation. They cannot stand the Romans. They don't have a good working relationship. They have a horrific relationship. And so when they start singing this song, deliverance, 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 God conquer, God conquer. Let's sing the Hosanna song again, you guys. And and we don't sing it that way. For us, it's like different, right? But you weren't saying like conquer anyone, right? We're like cool and stuff. We don't want to overthrow our government right now. Well, maybe you do, but that's a separate issue. That we, it's, we have to stay non-political as a non-profit organization, so no, no comment on that kind of stuff. Uh, and then if you notice the things that they were shouting, now that we know what Hosanna means, it's a cry for conquest. And then the other ones were, uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And you start to get a picture of what the Jews were expecting. They hate the Romans. They think that this guy is the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word that says the one who will save them from all oppression so that the Jews can rise up and create a new world order. Literally, they think the Jews are going to conquer the world and be God's spokesperson on the world politically. They are literally think that this is happening this day. Now, for us, it's like this like Easter thing, right? But it's not for them. They think Jesus has demonstrated that he is this person from the line of David. That's why it's Hosanna to the son of David. They think this is King David's ancestor come back to kill the Romans, free the Jews, and then inaugurate this like a, ru- a Jewish world rule that we see in Isaiah and some of the other books that they are anticipating. That's what they think. The promise for them meant that King David's ancestor is here and he's going to actually rule and he's going to establish a permanent world peace and a dominance under Jewish rule. So can we say this may be a letdown in about a week for them when he gets crucified, right? They were expecting, kill the Romans, kill the Romans, and they got, oh, he died. Oh, dang. But then he got resurrected, so then it got really confusing. Probably after that, they're like, wait, wait, wait. And so they had this expectation, and, and I, I don't know if I can fault the, the Jews for this, this expectation. There's another uh, really interesting thing about uh, the timing of Jesus' coming. So Palm Sunday, I'm going to translate some dates, because, and if you just stick with me for a minute, because the, the Jews don't use the Roman calendar. They don't like the Romans. They kept their Jewish calendar, right? And so the Jewish calendar has about 360 days in a year instead of 365. It's more lunar than solar calendar. Um, but anyway... Uh, I'll translate the dates just for you. Palm Sunday takes place on March 29th, 33 A.D. So almost uh, 1,984 years ago. Something like that. So uh, it takes place March 29th, 33 A.D. Now there's this really interesting thing 
that Daniel, Daniel's this prophet of God, and he writes a book about 600 B.C., so 640 years or so before Jesus is born. He writes this book in 600 B.C., and he writes this about the coming of the anointed one, which is a really interesting thing that he writes. He says in Daniel uh, chapter 9, he writes this, No one understand this. From the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens, and uh, the city will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, uh, after that, uh, after he comes, then he'll be put to death and he'll have nothing. That's a really interesting thing. Daniel's uh, writing around 600 B.C. Now, uh, he says from the issue of a decree to rebuild something. In the Bible, we have four decrees that are issued. Three of them are in regard to rebuilding the temple. What happens in way long ago, the Jews got conquered by the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians get conquered by the Medo-Persians, and then the Persians rise up. And the Persians don't like to keep captives. They like to let the captives stay back in their land. That way they could tax them. They don't just hold them. And so uh, under, King, uh, under Emperor Artaxerxes, the, the Persian emperor, he wants to send back the Jews to where they came from. He doesn't want them in his city. He wants them to go make money for taxes, right? And so, uh, so three of the, the decrees have to do with rebuilding the temple. And then Nehemiah, in ne- uh, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, and he's a Jewish guy. And uh, in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, Uh, it talks about Nehemiah getting permission from Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so this seems to be the decree that's in mind in Daniel's prophecy. Now, uh, we know because we know when the reign of Artaxerxes was, uh, he issues this this decree on March 5th, 444 B.C. So 444 years before Jesus, Artaxerxes, who's not a a God follower guy, well, we don't know if he is, but... uh, Maybe because he knows Nehemiah, right? So you never know what God does. But 444 B.C., he issues this decree, and they start to rebuild the walls. Then it takes them 49 years to totally rebuild the city, and that's that first group of sevens. He says, there'll be seven, seven, do the math, 49, uh, from the issue decree to the finished city. And then he says, then there's 62 sevens, which is kind of a weird number. That's 434 years. And he says, there's going to be this time until the anointed one comes, or the Messiah of Israel. Now, on the bottom, I've done the math for us because we can't keep it in mind. So that's a total of 483 Jewish years. Now, I have a typo here. So it's actually uh, 173,855 days. It's 25 days off because I, there, there was an add-on of an act, a year that wasn't supposed to be because of the day transfer. So that, it's, it's 173,855 days from the issue of the decree. Now, if you count the calendar, the exact number of days... 173,855 days from the issue of the decree is the day Jesus comes in on a donkey. The exact day. Not, not a maybe day, the exact day. Not only you, but like, that's like a trippy, right? Like, <laughs> freaking me out. You know, like, I don't know. But that, that's really weird. Really coincidental. Really supernatural? Really prophetic? So it's easy to see why the Jews have a false expectation, right? They think the king is here. It's not a bad expectation, right? 
God's going to restore his rule here through a, a ruler. But it's a false expectation. It, it's, it's actually a really good expectation. But the reality is they got an eternal, a spiritual king, something better than a political king. So the expectation was good, but the reality was gooder, great, superlative, greatest. But that doesn't even make sense. The expectation was good, but the reality was greatest. Whatever, right? So I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about it, and for us, for Palm Sunday, it means this kind of stuff, right? We have this spiritual stuff attached to it because we know about Jesus a little bit. When I start to wonder, I wonder if, if we have false expectation from Jesus. I wonder if we're very much like the Jews. Now, we probably don't expect this week that Jesus is going to come and take over the U.S. and the world and that kind of stuff, but, but do we have false expectations about Jesus? Do some of us have an expectation that if I follow Jesus, he's going to make my business flourish? I, I do. I sometimes think, oh, God, I've been faithful to you. You're going you're to build my finances, right? I'm not going to be broke when I never retire because I don't have a retirement fund, right? You're gonna take, I'm going to get to eat, won't I, God? I have this expectation. Maybe we have the expectation that uh, as I follow God that my kids are going to behave. <laughs> that one works out really well, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe you have the expectation that as I love Jesus, then, then my sicknesses will be all healed. Or my mom and dad who uh, have terminal cancer now, that they'll be healed. Maybe you have that expectation. And I would say maybe you have that false expectation. What other false expectations might we have? We might say, like, look, if, if I just pray a little bit more, then God will like me more, and he'll be more apt to bless me. Maybe you expect that if you do good, then you'll please God. And I'll tell you the reality is we get something way better than a works-rewards-based religion. We get what's called a grace-based relationship. Jesus has something so much more planned for you than just this do good, I'll give you a carrot, do good, I'll give you, than this carrot and stick sort of thing, do bad, I'm going to smack you. That is not what Jesus has for you, and he didn't have it for the Jews. Our false expectations, they, they tend to lean towards the physical, wouldn't you say, towards the now? Just like the Jews, right? They're gonna, he's going to save me now. That, that Hosanna is save now, Jesus. I want it now. I want that oompa loompa now, right? But is our expectation any different? Many times we expect Jesus to fix our now. We get caught up in the now instead of the eternal. We get caught up in what we want and how we expect things to go. We want it to benefit us. And we want it to fulfill our wants. And Jesus warns of this, you guys. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves could break in and steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and they don't steal it. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart's going to be. See, treasure that's in heaven, it's, it's not a now thing. It's a future thing. And I wonder, are we spending our best efforts on the future thing? On the eternal stuff? Or are we spending our best efforts on work, on making money, on studying, which aren't bad things, and expecting Jesus to bless those things? Are we, are we spending our money on uh, being comfortable? Are we spending it on the now? Or are we spending our money on the eternal? Again, our real habits and actual life reveal much more than our Sunday confessions. But you guys, it's no indictment. I'm not saying it to like bring guilt or that kind of stuff. 
I'm saying it to say maybe we need to examine our expectations. And that's okay to do. Because those things are good. It's good to want your kids to have a great life. It's good to, to want to be able to go check out the world. That's amazing. But is our expectation then leaving us short, though? When was the last time you uh, shared Jesus with someone? When was the last time you like, really led someone to Christ as Christians? When's the last time uh, you invited someone to come to church? As, as a measure of where our focus is, when was the last time you saw a movie? Probably more recent than I shared Jesus with someone, right? When's the last time you uh, had a Starbucks? <laughs> Possibly more recently than you shared Jesus? Uh, I don't know all of you and your witnessing life and that sort of stuff. And, and I, uh, when, when was the last time we prayed prayers with eternal significance versus uh, current significance? I shared a, a quote from Chris, Pastor Chris Hodges uh, a few months ago. If God answered all of your prayers, would the world be changed or just your life? Huh. When I heard that, I heard that quote about six months ago. I, I started crying in service because I said, just my life. I don't pray for anyone outside of my circle. Just my, my father, my family, my me. And so my wife and I, about six months ago, started to expand our prayers. Are you praying for Syria this week? Oh, man. Pastor Neil shared, missionary Neil shared, are you praying for the darkness that overwhelms tribes, native tribes in this country and in Canada? See, that sort of shows where our expectation is. Our false expectation may have caused us to focus on the temporary now and the physical versus the eternal future, the supernatural or the metaphysical. Has it? It did the Jews. It tricked them. They thought they were getting the physical now. And I wonder if it has for us. We think we're, you know, about my business. And those are really real, real worries. I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to discount them, you guys. I'm not trying to say you're bad for worrying about that or praying for that. Man, my father has terminal cancer, and I pray for him every single day. And that's okay that you should be doing that. But is that the only thing you're doing? What is the right expectation of Jesus? Well, it's the entire reason he came on Palm Sunday in the first place, to bring about something eternal. You see, Jesus wasn't about just doing the now. He was about doing the eternal, something way bigger. He was about bringing grace, an unmerited favor from God to you to rewrite the agreement. The agreement used to be in the Old Testament, you do the right thing and you can go to heaven. And if you don't, then you won't. And no one could do the right thing. And so nobody was going to heaven. And so Jesus says, God says, I'm going to switch this up. What I'm going to do is say, you can't get to heaven, so I'm going to come get you. I'm going to give you love even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to give you love if you're a rapist. If you've hurt children, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to give you grace. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to give my life for you. He says, I'm going to come here and I'm going to be the king who conquers sin and death. The kingdom that he brings is a spiritual one, a supernatural one, an eternal one, not just a small world one. And God wants to be the Lord over your eternal life. See, once we get this locked into our brains, once we get this placed into our hearts, then our life looks totally different. We could have eternal life. We can have freedom from sin. We can have joy in the middle of trials and peace in the midst of chaos. We could have worship and brokenness. We could have healing in our sorrow. That's what Jesus rides in on a donkey to bring. 
Not just more money in our pocket, not just a king for a time for the Jews. He comes to bring something eternal and supernatural and big and amazing and joyful. That's what his kingdom is about. I can enter heaven because of him. I can find purpose because of him. I can enter into community, real community with people where there's healing because of him. I could find peace for my soul because of him. You guys, this is my king. And I don't care who's in charge politically. I care who's in charge eternally. I'd like us to ask that we move our eyes from the temporary now, maybe the false expectation, to the eternal God expectation. And get that hope. That's what this week is all about, where Jesus comes in. He's beginning the, the, this Passion Week where he's going to be in Jerusalem and he's going to get crucified on Friday. And then he's going to raise again on Sunday, demonstrating that he's God, demonstrating the things he says is possible is possible. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray over our friends that are here. God, I know we're in all different places. Some of us, we we don't even believe in you. Some of us are doubting, and some of us, we've been following you in a long time. And no matter where we are, God, I pray that you would meet us. I know you came in on a donkey for us. (laughs) You rode to be the king of my life and each person here's life. You look at every one of these people that are sitting in this room, no, no exceptions, and you look at them with love. And you look at them with, with no condemnation, and you love them, and you want a relationship with them, God. And you look at every single one of us, and you would die on this Friday for every single one, even if it was just one of us. You still would have come all those years ago just for us. Thank you, God, that you are not small, that you are big, that you are supernatural and outside of this universe. And thank you that your provision is eternal, not just temporary. So my money comes and goes, but you never do. And thank you that we could be here, God. Thank you for our friends. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Next week is Easter Sunday, you guys. I, I want to encourage every one of you guys to come out here. Uh, be blessed. Easter is a time when many people are open to come into church. And so if you've been praying for someone, you've been thinking about, should I ask my coworker? Maybe this Sunday's the, this next Sunday is the perfect time. People are open to hearing about Jesus. The week after that, we're going to start a new series, Why Am I Here? And now we're going to be launching a slightly different worship format. So you want to make sure to come and check that out. Thank you. Bless you guys today.